Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mission podcast. I'm really excited about this one because I have got with me a fellow female powerhouse. She is brave. She's bold. She's brilliant. It's the fabulous Jeanette Linfoot. <laughs> Now, for anyone who doesn't know Jeanette, where have you been? Um, she has left 27 years working at a very senior senior level in her corporate role. And she is now a multiple business owner. She's a serial entrepreneur. She's a property investor. She's a coach. She's a mentor. She's an advisor um, and everything in between. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jeanette. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Ellie. It really is. Thank you so much for asking me on. Oh, I'm really excited about this one because I mean, did a bit of due diligence and it's just such an interesting story. Do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about how it all began for you? Yeah, sure. Well, you can probably tell from my dulcet tones, I'm a northerner. So I uh, I was, I grew up in Manchester, the youngest of three daughters, actually. Um, so great family life, you know, loving parents, et cetera, but very working class, you know. So we uh, we uh, had a lot of love, a lot of love, but not necessarily a huge amount of money. But we didn't want for anything either, Ellie, to be fair, you know. But, um, you know, I guess I was the only one in the family to go to university. Um, so I hot-footed it across to Leeds, where I did an economics degree. And then after that, I ended up in London. So I was a diehard Northerner saying, I'm never going to London. Um, but when I graduated way back when, showing my age now in 93, it was a recession. So, you know, I was applying for all sorts of jobs, wasn't getting anywhere, even though I'd got a first, right? So I was really proud of my degree. But even, even rugby cement wouldn't take me on their graduate scheme, you know? I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> but so that's, that's how it was. But I got offered a job in the government economic service as an economist so I went down to London did the classic I'll stay there two years three years max and then kind of you know 20 odd years later um was still down there up to very recently um and then I jumped out of the civil service I guess the grey cardigans were not for me um and I uh, can we we just take a moment to just talk talk about that as well because it sounds really glamorous doesn't it working at Whitehall what was your experience of that you know what it was a brilliant first job it genuinely was and and I I suppose to me, because it was my first proper job, you know, after wiping tables in Debenhams and working in the local chippy, you know, it was it was quite quite a a step change, shall we say, especially for a northerner. So, you know, it was a really good first job. It was a great grounding. And um, and I was advising ministers on pensions policies of all things. You know, what what would it do to the, the, the budget if you increase the retirement age of women to 65, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was a good, it was a good first job, but it was interesting because at the time, 80% of the intake for the government economic service were either Ox, Oxford or, or um, 
Cambridge graduates and I did my degree in Leeds, right? So, you know, I had the old massive imposter syndrome, even though I got a first of being, you know, the token northerner. Um, so it was, yeah, it was interesting, but it was a great first job. It was a good grounding, but I knew it wasn't where I wanted to kind of spend my career really. So I jumped out into the travel industry, which was far more um, crazy and, gla- well, supposedly glamorous, but not, not so glamorous as it um, appears. Let me trust you. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned being the norther a few times here and clearly you're in good company, but did you ever experience any kind of, um, I don't know if discrimination is too strong a word, but I kind of have this image of, of Whitehall, perhaps, perhaps this is a, 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 a misconception, but I'm just kind of thinking of the Oxbridge, stiff upper lip type um, persona. Um, is that reflective of the reality? Uh, to a certain degree, yes, you know, because when you walk into the treasury and it's all, you know, sort of panelled, oak panelled walls and things like that, you know, it has got that aspect to it for sure. Um, but I think half of those barriers were barriers that I put in my own mind, to be honest. And I think the, rea- the reality is that I'm pretty stubborn as well. So if I'm if I sort of feel like I'm, um, I don't know, maybe in an environment that's different, I'll almost be more of me if you know what I mean. I've been more northern just to prove a point, <laughs> which I'm not saying I would do now. But back then in my early 20s, yeah, I, that was definitely a theme for me. But no, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. And of course, London's fabulous city to live, right? Especially in your early 20s. It's cool. Absolutely. So you mentioned you then went into the, the travel and tourism industry, but I mean, you you were at a pretty senior level, weren't you? You were operating it. In fact, you were a CEO initially, and then you were working at board level and um, advising the likes of Cooey, First Choice, Thompson's, all the big names. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I started at the bottom, essentially. But I was a bit unusual because like, when I decided to leave the Government Economic Service, I actually joined Thompson Holidays, which you're, you're, you're a lot younger than me, Ellie, but Thompson back then was owned by the Thompson family. Um, and But it was market leader. And I'd applied to join their graduate scheme when I was at uni and I got rejected. Can you believe it? So I was still getting, wait, this is pre-internet, right? You've got to remember showing my age now. I was still getting what you used to call prospects today from Leeds. Um, and I saw they were advertising for the graduate scheme. But bear in mind, I'd been graduated two years. I was already working, right? So so maybe again, the old stubborn northern me thought, I'm bloody going to apply again. And event, and this time around, they accepted me. So I joined as a as a graduate, although I wasn't a typical graduate. And then I worked my way up, really. So so yeah, I mean, I spent gosh 25 years in the industry. I still do a lot in the travel travel space, um, and worked my way up from from there to become the managing director of the emerging markets for TUI. I was product director at First Choice, which is one of the big uh, mainstream brands in, in the travel space at the time. And then the last exec role I did, which was three years ago, I was the CEO of the travel division for Saga. So I had four different businesses um, in about 50 countries, 1,700 people on my team, et cetera. So, you know, reasonable sized businesses to run um, in that kind of space, really. So, yeah, but I started from the bottom and worked my way up, essentially. Well, what was the kind of ratio when you first started of women working in the sector to when you left more recently? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's actually interesting because 75% of uh, the travel industry is women as an average. Because if you think about the industry with, you know, travel agents, you know, a lot of kind of, you know, overseas reps, uh, cabin crew, you know, so the whole sector is is definitely a bias towards women. But at a senior level, it drops off a cliff. 
Um, you know, so so yeah, very very few. I was all, I was nearly always the only woman in the boardroom, to be honest, with a P and L. Um, so profit and loss account, you know. So you'd often get uh, HR directors that would be women. In fact, I'd rather see some more ma- male HR directors. But it was um, I was still I was still definitely I suppose a minority at board level. Um, you know, that could be probably well, it's definitely less than ten percent in those FTSE one hundred businesses. Yeah. Was it something that you were aware of or were you just on your own trajectory? Um, I guess I guess I was aware of it, but it, it never really held it never held me back. And I always had really great bosses, um, a lot of male advocates in my who have helped me in my career. So and I always used to think, you know, if you walk into a room thinking there's going to be a problem, then there probably will be. So for me, I've always sort of taken the ethos of okay, you know, do the best job you can, be yourself, you know, be honest, have, you know, the values that are really important to me about, you know, treating others with respect, honesty, integrity, all of those working class values. No one gives you anything for nothing. I just kind of didn't compromise on those, but I I just tried to do the best job I could possibly do. Um, and I loved my, you know, I loved the jobs I had, the roles I had. Um, so it never really held me back. But there were definitely, definitely lots of examples of, excuse my French, cock swinging. I mean, for sure. All I mean, it was regular, you know, the jokes. I remember once flying to Moscow on the company jet with my boss at the time, who was a chap called Peter Long. He was the CEO of TUI. So he was the big shot who I worked, reported into. You know, we get on the on the jet and it sounds very glamorous. It's the worst thing to go on a private jet, trust me, with a bunch of men for a four-hour flight to Moscow when the toilet's at the back and you're just thinking, I just don't want to be, I don't want to have to go to the loo because it's just embarrassing, right? <laughs> you know, and then it being the jokes around, oh, come on, Jeanette, you can make the tea, you know, and I'd be like, um, don't think so. I think our CFO, Will Waggett, can make the tea don't you um you know so i would just sort of bring humor into any situation like that and then make the guys realize they were just being a bit idiots really you know oh i love that because there, there, there's an elegant way of, of kind of doing these things isn't there and one of the things that sort of drew you to me is i think we do have a lot of shared values you can see your your passion for helping others and you're, you're you're very true to yourself i'm very proud of your your northern working class roots as am i but i've heard you speak in the past about not compromising your values. You you definitely didn't say that, but having to almost in certain situations tailor your approach, become more masculine in order to kind of blend in, which isn't something with the benefit of hindsight and experience you would necessarily do again. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think certainly when I was, you know, when I was kind of in my corporate career and, you know, progressing, et cetera, there, there weren't many role models, you know, there weren't, that, that was half the problem actually. And and I think way back when, you know, a lot of women, and I, I would be guilty of this in certain times as well, you know, you might feel you have to behave more like a man to get on now of course with a bit more maturity and experience and and kind of being a bit more comfortable in your own shoes as you get older um, you realize actually you don't need to do that at all you can just be yourself but I think that comes with you know confidence a bit more self-belief you know throwing off the imposter syndrome all those kind of things it comes a, a little bit with age to be honest but definitely in my younger younger times I would I would sometimes feel that like I had to be more alpha alpha female 
struggle, shall we say, to, to kind of get on, um, which is nonsense, of course. You know, you don't need to do that. You've, but but it is it is quite tough to navigate the uh, the corporate boardroom as a woman sometimes, for sure. I can imagine that. So you, so you kind of battled, you've worked very hard over the years. You've got 20 plus years of experience and you're working at the top level. You, you, you've pretty much went as far as you can go. Well, what sort of factored into your decision from stepping away from what a lot of people would sort of perceive as the pinnacle of success? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, again, I think you just have certain crossroads and points in your life where there's a natural break or there's a time to reflect and, and think about what you really want. You know, for some people, it might be when they have a family or, you know, when they move roles, etc. For me, you know, I, I was kind of in my mid-40s and I'd really – I was never one of these people people that hated the corporate life I, I you know I have to say I really enjoyed every single role that I've ever done and it was never just a job for me you know I put a lot into it but I guess I got to a certain point where I was like in my mid-40s you know successful career so far Chris my other half is 10 years older than me as well not that you know he's some old duffer he's not he's, he's really cool and, and we're really happy together but Chris had retired you know and I just thought you know what actually what do we want from our, this next phase of our life and I thought you know I really want more freedom choice flexibility want to create passive income all the things we talk about in the world of property etc and and I want to have the energy and the time to enjoy the next phase traveling is really important so it was obviously I spent a lot of time in the industry but traveling for our own kind of experience is important so yeah I suppose I'd, I wouldn't say I had a midlife crisis but I definitely took a step and thought mm, what should I do next and the expectation from everyone else was that I'd go back and do another big corporate CEO role so it took me a little bit of time to sort of navigate through that. And that's all your ego talking at the end of the day with those those kind of conversations. And I thought, no, actually, and no, I'm really clear on what I want to do. And then my sort of, you know, things evolve from there, really, um, in terms of what we do with property and what I do with my advisory work, et cetera. So I still do a lot of work in the travel sort of leisure hospitality space. Um, I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions, buy and sell businesses to private equity clients. So that's kind of nice because I've still got my foot in that world, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not on the hook for delivering the day-to-day -day trading and the hard nose. You know, when you're running a business with 400 million pounds of turnover and 1,700 people, that comes with some pressure as well. So it's quite nice to still be in the industry making an impact, but in a way that doesn't consume all of my time and energy and emotions, you know? So that's that's kind of mm -hmm. good to have that flexibility. So yeah, maybe I have a midlife crisis, Ellie, is probably the summary. <laughs> It's better than buying a Ferrari. Look what you look what you've went on to achieve. It's bloody phenomenal. But so, so you're obviously still doing a, a lot of advisory work. I've got to ask what what are, what are the boots on the ground in the travel sector seeing at the moment? Because no no one could have uh, envisaged the the shitstorm of the last eighteen months. It's you know the, the industry has been absolutely decimated. What's the mood like? Yeah, well, it's been tough. I mean, it's been really really tough. I mean, let's face it. You know, the travel industry is, I would say probably the worst affected industry out of all sectors. I mean, all sectors have been affected, but travel in particular. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of businesses that have failed 
and there's still more to come, I think, unfortunately, especially smaller businesses. Um, but equally, there's a lot of opportunity as well, you know, and, and we're seeing a lot of activity of IPOs. So, so businesses that were privately owned, maybe listing. So have an initial public offering. Uh, we're starting to see some more consolidation, mergers, acquisitions. So actually, I think we're, we're coming through the worst. Um, mm. But in my opinion, it's going to take three years for the industry to recover. And we've still got some more pain to come yet. I mean, pre-COVID, I was working on three deals, three M&A deals all in the space. And of course, they all just went on, on completely on hold because how can you value a business in a pandemic? And how can someone that's looking to acquire a business know what the state that business is going to be in in 12 months time or 18 months time? So, you know, I think actually the it will bounce back. It's going to take at least three years. But if you've protected your cash and this applies to any business, to be honest, not just a travel business, if you've protected your cash position, there could be some great opportunities because there will be chances to pick up businesses um, at a far lower valuation than there would have been pre-COVID. And as long as the foundations of that business is solid and you've got a long time frame in terms of what you're going to do with it, then you could actually become a real a winner out of this. So yeah, it's 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 not been easy at all, but there's always opportunities out of adversity, right? Yeah, well, there absolutely is. I think, you know, as much as it's more about the MRNE than the M&E at the moment, it's, um, I think more wealth was actually created after the Great Depression than any other time in history. Yeah. Okay, so so maybe let's just explore that a little bit more. You, we know that there, there's definitely going to be opportunities for those uh, businesses or individuals that have remained liquid. Where, where do you see the sort of greatest areas of opportunity, if you like, over the next five to ten years? Um, well, I think, I mean, any business that's digital, right, is 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 in, in a winning space. I mean, we've seen that, haven't we, with, you know, with kind of the growth in, you know, businesses on Amazon and those that have been able to kind of pivot away from a traditional bricks and mortar kind of retail. I mean, I think high street retail is going to be tough. Uh, I think online, on any business that's online retailer can do very well. I mean, I, I think it's those businesses that can actually, um, you know, really stay, have stayed in touch with their customers, have treated their customers really well through the tough times, those businesses will be the ones that, that survive. Um, we've seen a, an absolute growth in online education, you know, lots of training courses and coaching and mentoring that's really flourished. You know, I mean, my own mentoring business is doing really well, but, you know, which it would anyway, but I think people need the support a lot more than than through through the good times. Um, and the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of is um, what I'd call SaaS businesses. So mm -hmm. software as a service business. So any any kind of tech business that take that that takes away the complexity of say a fragmented supply chain or something like that that allows the customer to easily access the end product with the tech in the middle. Those businesses will do very well, you know, and I'm seeing that a lot with, you know, in the travel space, but in, in other spaces as well. Um, and then I think stuff like, you know, we work, you know, flexible working, those sort of flexible office space, those type of yeah. businesses, they've been hit in the short term because, of course, people are having to work from home. But actually, I think we'll do well because a lot of businesses now, they don't want the overhead of an office, but they want to have somewhere flexibly where teams can kind of meet and, and what have you. So, yeah, there's winners and losers, isn't there, Ellie? And, and I think property, you know, which is obviously our business, um, you know, will – 
always do well. Um, and, you know, serviced accommodation domestic, I think has got yeah. a, good, a good run at it for a couple of years um, just because, you know, because people are still a bit nervous about flying, et cetera. So, yeah, this is it's a mixed bag. It's so much fat, isn't it? But you, you touched on the laterally there, you just touched on the property. Have you always been involved in property as a bit of a side hustle? Or at what point did you start to tap into to the power of property and what you can achieve through it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, when I look back, I bought one of my first investment properties was in a place called Stanford, which is near um, Peterborough, actually. Now, that was with an ex boyfriend. Um, so, I'm going back, I can't remember now what the year would have been. Let me think, probably 2000 and three, four, something like that. Um, and that, I mean, did everything wrong, right? You know, emotional purchase for starters, overspent on the refurb. I ended up having to live in it because we'd split up and, you know, no hot water, living on a building site. Not good, not good. Um, anyway, managed to get through that and then had sold it as part of the separation, shall we say. Um, so, so that was my first dabble, I guess, in property. But then myself and Chris, we invested in 2014 but that was a side hustle that was just really because we were both in big corporate roles we were earning really you know good salaries etc so it was somewhere to actually deploy the capital but without knowing how to do it properly so we did very well from those properties because we were in london etc um but actually it wasn't really till 2019 when i'd come out of corporate life we got educated um as i know know you did as well ellie and with mark and then you know we've kind of said right okay let's do this properly so it's only really been the last couple of years that we've we've approached it in that way i've got got a few questions for you with regards to that because obviously you've got extensive experience in coaching and mentoring and business and, and everything else but up until leaving your senior corporate role had you ever had any coaches or mentors yourself Oh gosh, yes, loads. Always at different points of my career. I mean, and and I always think it's always made a step change for me. Um, you know, a classic example was when I got promoted to become the MD of the emerging markets at TUI. So as I say, I was I was reporting into Peter Long, who was the group CEO, and at the time, um, and he was very a brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I mean, really fabulous guy, you know, um, a game changer in the industry, actually. What he created with Tui and his legacy is like second to none. So fabulous to work for someone like that. But my God, was he tough. I mean, I've seen him like chop people off at the legs, you know, I mean, <laughs> pretty much. So when I got promoted, the HR director at the time, a wonderful lady called Jackie Simmons, who's actually, you know, become a friend over the years. She said to me, I think it will be really, really uh, helpful for you to have a coach. So I had a coach at that particular point in my career, which helped massively, you know, just in terms of making the transition and, and also putting myself in the mindset of, of what Peter was going through as a group CEO. Because it's very easy, isn't it, to think that your boss or whoever you are in whichever organization has got all the answers, but they haven't, you know, and I think it's really great if you can 
put yourself in the other person's shoes. And if you have a coach to help you navigate through those times, it makes a huge difference. Um, so yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had probably had about six or seven different coaches, mentors over the years, but nearly all, always at a time when I've needed something new, you know, it's been a transition or a promotion or, you know, moving from one company to another or getting into property, you know, so I'm a massive believer. Um, so yeah, it's, it's step, it makes a step change it's the difference very often between success or failure I think yeah I mean I, I'm a huge advocate of, of all things personal and professional development and um, I know there's a the, the sort of attitude that you can get it all online that's certainly not my experience I don't I just don't think you can replicate the knowledge the accountability and and everything else that, that comes with that but you've mentioned Chris a few times Jeanette and, and I'm really interested to hear this because um for those of you who, who who sort of know my backstory I work with my husband Mark and we have done for the last three years and whilst I can now say it's the best thing we've ever done, there's definitely been times where it felt like the worst thing we've ever done. And I've really questioned my sanity. Um, I'm a marriage at points, you know, it's been pretty, uh, pretty hairy. How did you find working with Chris for the first time? What impact did it have on your relationship? Oh my God. Well, I mean, we're chalk and cheese, Chris. I mean, sometimes we've been together 17 years now for friends with benefits, which is how we started out. And, <laughs> you know, we're, we're still friends with benefits, right? All these years later. So, but we are, we're, we're so different anyway, you know, as, as individuals, as people, we share common values. Otherwise we wouldn't have stayed together as much. And I absolutely adore Chris. I love him from the bottom of my heart. He's the most special man. Um, but my God. Yeah. I mean, we are chalk and cheese and sometimes I think, God, have we have we lasted all these years? And maybe it is because we're quite different. You know, I'm I'm an extrovert. I'm out there. And Chris is like massive introvert. You know, I mean, we are really different. And I suppose that has kind of helped us really as well with our business. So when we were starting out with the property together, we definitely were sort of tripping each other up a little bit. You know, both trying to both going on viewings and you know, and then I'd be trying to sort out I don't know whatever the lending was going to be. And Chris would say, Oh, can I have a, you know have a look at that? And I, you know, so it took us a little while I think to sort of really think about what are we both good at and our skills are quite different. So um, I guess a bit of trial and error, and but putting down some 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 clear parameters. And I guess because Chris and I both from that corporate world, um, maybe it's a bit easier for us to do that, you know, and just, it's not exactly writing a job description for each other, but, but not far off. So how we now work things, I focus on sort of the strategy, the finance, the investor side, the legal, the tax, all of that kind of stuff, you know, the money if you like. Um, and Chris focuses much more on, you know, the, the deal sourcing, liaising with agents, you know, managing the sort of refurb projects, things like that. So he's much more operations and I'm much more kind of strategy finance. Um, and we, you know, we do sort of, you know, cross over every now and then when there's a big decision that's needed. But that's helped us, I think, not kill each other uh, through the process. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just always love oh sorry go on you there no I was gonna say but I mean you know I think I think it's just it is trial and error and it's like anything isn't it in relationships it's the communication that's really important I think you know whether that's on a personal basis or a business basis I think if you can talk about things and be really open and honest um that helps massively so yeah I, I'm a bit more of a I suppose a, a sort of 
northern, oh, you don't talk about stuff, you know, brush it under the carpet, everyone's getting on perfectly fine. That's kind of how my family background is. Whereas Chris's, Chris's family is Maltese and they're typical Mediterranean, everything's out there. They'll talk about sex and all sorts of things. And I'm like, no, I'm cringing. So I think him being the way he is has helped me be much better at talking about when there is a bit of conflict and things need sorting out. So yeah, that's helped us. <laughs> Did, did it just kind of come naturally for you to be the, like I would say, describe you as the face of the business? You're the person that sort of puts themselves out on social media and you, you're at the networking events and things like that. Or, you know, do you think Chris will gravitate towards that space in the future? No, God, no. He'd rather, he'd rather like cut his hand off really than do all yeah. the social media stuff. So, so no, again, you know, I'm a big show off. I, lo- I love being in the limelight. I know it's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I quite enjoy all of that. All the social media is an adjustment for me as well, mind. But yeah, I mean, Chris is very social. Don't get me wrong. And we do go to a lot of events together and we're kind of well known as a couple. Um, and Chris working in travel, you do have to be able to turn it on, you know, I mean, he used to run big operational teams with all the reps and stuff and the suppliers. So he is very sociable, but his natural preference is to be a bit more bit more introverted and a bit more private. Um, whereas I'm sort of out there, you know. So yeah, we he's happy to leave me do that and he focuses on the things that he's good at. You know what though, but that, that's what works. And there's so many, I'm just drawing so many similarities between Mark and I as well. And I think something you said there was just really powerful because it, it's about understanding that actually the thing that's great about you as a couple is the opposing skill sets. So mm. in the early days, when, when you are going through that sort of trial and error stage of, of, of following each other around viewings and what have you, it, it's not serving anyone. And we had a very similar experience. Yeah, I'm trying to say to Mark, you need to be posting on LinkedIn, you need to be doing this. And he's like, well, if I do that, he's like, we won't have a business you know there will be no operations and that's not um we, we were speaking when i was actually a guest on your podcast about when you're in the right state of energy however you want to describe that when you're in your state of genius that's when you kind of attract opportunities because your antennas are up and if you're forcing somebody you're not forcing but, but sort of encouraging somebody to do things that are not necessarily just out of their comfort zone because we, we all need to push ourselves but um out of their area of specialism, then it almost becomes counterproductive, doesn't it? And then you, you end up presenting each other. Yeah, hundred percent. And and let you know, absolutely no questions around. You know, I wouldn't be as good at what I do if I didn't have Chris. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I don't do the work and, and, and everything, but to have a supportive partner that genuinely believes in you at a time sometimes when you don't believe in yourself as much, when you have those wobbles, it, it, it really is a big, it makes a massive difference. So, you know, I wouldn't, even in, even in my corporate life, you know, some of the stuff I had to navigate through, Chris was always there behind me at my side saying, come on, you can do this. And, and that often, you know, meant when I had to make the really tough decisions for the business or for my career, I kind of did it knowing that knowing that I had his backing and full support. And that makes a massive difference. So, yeah, for, I, I give full credit to Chris, even though he's he tends to be the one in the background. Um, he's not at all. He's very much in the forefront in, in terms of what we actually achieve together. hundred percent. 
No, I, I love that because I get I get all the recognition. I get all the awards and stuff like that. Mark probably does 80% of the work. I'm quite comfortable with our setup. It, it's great. But you, you mentioned there, you know, it's not just the business side of it. He's there to support you as well on an emotional level when you have the, the wobbles that we all have. We're all human. But um, as, as a leader yourself, as, um, you know, someone that people look up to as, a, as an influencer and an inspiration, what do you kind of do to... Look after your own mental health. I mean, we've all faced our unique set of challenges over the last 18 months, two years. How have you found this sort of um, unprecedented, I hate that word, these unprecedented times and what do you do for self-care? Yeah, it's so critical, isn't it? And again, I think actually you become more aware of this. Uh, well, certainly I did as I've got older. Um, and for me, how I sort of start my day is really important. So I am fiercely protective of my first hour of the day. And, you know, whether you, I, I, I don't know if anyone's read the book, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, Um now, I, when I read that book, I, um, it's all about your morning routine, basically, and setting yourself up for success in the day. When I read the book, I thought, oh, actually, I do quite a lot of this stuff anyway, but I maybe wasn't being so sort of intentional with it or so conscious with it. Um, but what I now do, and in particular during this last sort of 12 to 18 months, I make sure that I start my day where I have time to myself. You know, I, I do my affirmations. I spend my time in silence. Silence. Everyone thinks it's all a bit woo-woo, don't they? I do my breathing. I do my vision visualization you know i'll read a little bit i always do my exercise that's a really big one for me exercise um so so that kind of morning routine helps me and if i don't get the chance to do that um i just not on my game in particular with the exercise side of things um you know because i get some of my best ideas if i'm running or if i'm in the gym or something or or if i'm just feeling overwhelmed i just find that endorphin rush just kind of clears the just clears all of that uh, fog sometimes that you can get when you've got a lot going on. So, so yeah, those are the sort of the things that I do that are obvious, but, but I also try and, and I'm not very good at this. I must admit, I'm trying to be better. I, I try to to celebrate the wins as well. Um, and, and cause I, I'm a natural person that, um, I'm always on to the next thing. You know, if you're ambitious and you always want so and and sometimes I've had to really work hard. And again, Chris will say, slow down, Jeanette, you're missing the journey, you're missing the ride. It's all going to be gone in an instant. Um, and it's not just about where you're getting to, it's it's the you know, the things along the way. And and I have to work really hard at that because it's not a natural thing for me. So but I'm trying much more to sort of recognize when we get these little wins or have achieved something and just I don't know, even just sit down outside with a cup of tea for 10 minutes on your own you know it doesn't have to be big things I quite like cracking open the champers and going on a big shopping spree as well mind but you know <laughs> uh, yeah. so I think those things just make you feel good don't they you know take yourself off and get your nails done just a little bit of pampering a little bit of you yeah. time you know without anyone else there necessarily a bit of a bit of time on my own I quite enjoy yeah, I'm glad you've been honest about that because uh, wise words from Chris there, and and I think this is this is if we're being honest, it's a, a recurring theme with pretty much um, all high performance people, regardless of your sector. People who are striving for for more, not necessarily financially, but just to be the best version of themselves. People with aspirations and. We, we were just speaking about this earlier, weren't we? That what what actually is the definition of success? Is it inner peace? Is it money in the bank? Because if we're not enjoying the here and now, if our focus is always on the future, then we're definitely missing missing the journey. So, 
I suppose my question to you would be, Jeanette, what is your definition of success? Uh, I think it's happiness and contentment. Um, to be honest, I mean, of course you want to, you know, not, well, not of course actually, but you know, most people want to have enough to live off, etc. I mean, for me, I think it's contentment, happiness and progress because I always want to feel like I am being a better version of myself. Um, you know, so, so I'm, I've never been a tick over kind of person. I never was in my corporate life. You know, it was all about buying businesses, turning loss, making businesses around opening new markets. It was all this kind of stuff. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. that's what I really love. Um, so it's about growth. And I think that's probably in my DNA, you know, of always wanting to, to be a better version. And maybe it comes from being the youngest in the family, the youngest of, you know, I've got two older sisters, um, who I absolutely adore. But I guess, you know, I can still see myself as that young kid almost going, hey, look at me, aren't I great? You know, so so maybe I'm always there's a bit of me that's looking for that approval um, by by wanting to be progressing and, and what have you, which is a bit a bit of a sad thing to say. But I think that's that's a reality, actually, that is in me for sure. But the happiness and the success and and feeling like I'm improving is what makes me happy. It's not necessarily the money. That's great. Of course it is. But I think the freedom, the choice, the flexibility that gives you um, gives you joy. But it's often the simple things, isn't it, that actually are the moments that you remember. It doesn't always have to be the big showy things. Yeah, no, absolutely. So tell me then how did the podcast come about brave bold brilliant and, and i say this and, and i'm not blowing smoke, uh, hot air up yet um it's one of the very few podcasts i listen to you have not just the phenomenal guests but i think you've got such a natural style but i mean just to give the the viewers a bit of a you've had some bloody good guests on there haven't you yeah, yeah. Well, as have you actually, Ellie. So I mean, very good company with you here as a fellow podcaster. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I started really from it was it was definitely well, it's during lockdown last year, uh, so July. So I've been going just over a year. So I've had my year's anniversary. We're on. 118 episodes now. Um, So it's a mixture of solo content and and guests. But I guess, you know, what I'm really passionate about is helping people really fulfill their potential. Because, and and whether that's, I don't know, helping a business that's struggling turn around or grow, or whether it's an individual that, you know, wants to progress their career or start a business. And so the whole concept really of starting a podcast really was to give back. And to try and inspire, support, help people. It was never to make money from the podcast. In fact, it cost me money because with the production and everything, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so, and, and I just believe that every single person has got greatness within them. But in order to unlock that potential, you do have to be brave and kind of t- take a deep breath and, you know, throw yourself in you do have for me being bold is about making the biggest impact you can it doesn't have to be money whatever the impact is and then brilliant is kind of when the stars align really so that's the sort of theme of the podcast but it's and and i'm interested as well in this concept of big business versus small business because often people talk about them as one being good one being bad you know hey sack your job you know sack your boss leave your job all that kind of stuff well as i say i had a great experience in corporate life 
life um, and lots of difficult experiences as well. But generally, I enjoy my corporate life. And I also enjoy being an entrepreneur with my own businesses now. And I think, actually, if you can get the best of both, then that's really amazing. So when the with the guests, a lot of the guests that I interview, it can be anything from kind of, you know, really large corporate CEOs running billion-dollar businesses right the way through to entrepreneurial startups and kind of everything in between. But it's all about high potential. It's all about pushing through, you know, against adversity, being the best that you can for your business, your career, your life, whatever. You know, so I've had um, on there, I had uh, Johan Lundgren, who's the group CEO of EasyJet, who actually I know very well from my travel travel world. We were colleagues. You know, I've had um, I've had Matt Fidesz, who I think you've also had, who was uh, Michael Jackson's former bodyguard. He's got a massive, like, uh, franchise business in the martial arts space. I've had Barbara Majeski, who's a big U.S. TV personality, Rory Underwood, who still holds the, you know, the the, the record try scoring uh, for England's rugby. Uh, so some phenomenal people, you know, I've had um, Mark Ormrod, who was a triple amputee, you know, had both his legs and arms blown, one arm blown off in Afghanistan. I mean, what a guy, literally rebuilt his body and his life, you know. So it's not all about the business. It's it's around helping and learning and supporting each other to be the best version of ourselves. So, yeah, that's what it's all about, really. It's really interesting because your, your podcasts have a very similar thing to mine. It's not necessarily just the, the business people, but there's there's so many learnings and I just find that although we're delivering value, there's not been an interview that I've done where I've not come away with something really valuable that I'm going to implement or change about my own personal journey. Has that been your experience as well? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, and also I think if you can do some good along the way, you know, with it as well, um, you know, cause I interviewed a guy called Alex Flynn and Alex Flynn has got Parkinson's. Now he's ran over 200 marathons and his mission is to put Parkinson's on top of the world. So he's climbing Everest next year. You know, so the, again, nothing. But if I could, I had him on my on my podcast because I just thought, well, what a guy. I mean, how inspiring for someone to hear his journey. So if you're having a bit of a bad day and you think, my God, I can't, uh, you know, I can't achieve X, Y, Z. Have a listen to that. And that will really put it into perspective, you know, but also raising awareness of a great cause. You know, so so, yeah, there's never I agree with you. There's never a conversation where I don't walk away going, Wow. You know, I've learned something or, oh, gosh, that's a really good idea. I must I must nick that and <laughs> put it into my business or my life or whatever. Or, oh, gosh, no, I, I need to make sure I avoid that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree with you, Ellie. It's such a great way of uh, engaging with people. And I think as well, when you when the, your podcast starts to become successful, like yours is, I think, are you in the, the is it the top 2%, the top 1%? Top 2%. We're, we're heading for one. We'll be heading for one, Ellie, but it might take me a while. Top 2% for now. Well, I, I absolutely love that because I, I said it was a kick-ass podcast. It really is a kick-ass podcast, but you're using it. I'd like to think I am as well as, as a bit of a platform to do good because like the, the, the chap you were just talking about there with Everest, it's nice to be able to bring people's story to an audience and may not have otherwise have heard of them. It's not necessarily about, you know, you've had some very well-known guests, as have I, but but actually, and, and they're great, but but 
equally some of the lesser known people that, that I have I've had on that are doing some phenomenal stuff. They're on a mission, whether that's philanthropy or whatever else it may be. Um, I've recently had a guy called Kevin Britton on who's doing some phenomenal stuff for um, children's cancer, uh, cancer charities where he's running every day for over a decade and you know not particularly a well-known name, but just a, a great, you know, great empowering way for me to kind of promote that message. And it's... Um, it, it's a nice feeling, isn't it, to be able to do that? Oh, 100%, 100%. I, I genuinely have found something that I love. I mean, I, there's lots of things I love, but with podcasting, it was an unexpected love. Let's put it that way. I did it, you know, for the reasons that I started out as we just covered, but actually it's just become so much more. I genuinely get a kick out of it and I, I just, uh, I feel very humbled to be able to do it, to be honest. Um, and, you know, I mean, do I get it right all the time? Of course I don't. Do I fluff my words all the bloody time, you know, but I I kind of think, well, we're all human beings, aren't we? And I think that's that's what I like about podcasting. It's quite real. Um, it's not it's not too much of a veneered, you know, uh, kind of false version of of people. It's it's quite real. I, th- I think there's definitely got to be the element of what, what you see is what you get. But you know what? People gravitate towards that. I um, just at the start of my, my podcasting journey, I was spending a lot of time editing out the ums and ours. And, and I was just like, you know what? One, this is too time consuming for the team. And secondly, it's like, I think when people can perhaps sense a bit of nerves or vulnerability when you're doing something a bit new, it can almost make you a bit more endearing. But you know what? This is the reality. We're not perfect. Um, In fact, I actually recorded a a podcast before this and I got got the name of my own podcast wrong. So, I mean, but then the the guy who was was interviewing, he's like one of the most intelligent people I know, um, got got his birthday wrong. So I I was in good company. I was in very good company. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. No, we're, we are all perfectly flawed, Ellie. I think that's how I would describe us as human beings. Uh, you know something, I, 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 just on that point, Jeanette, I think it's really interesting. I don't know if it comes with age or experience or perhaps just working on your mindset, but I, I think it's a level of, of kind of self-acceptance as well um, because when I think back to just the short time it's been really since, since I've been on this crazy entrepreneurial roller coaster three years I um, as someone who's not particularly operational in, in the running of the business in terms of the projects I used to really battle with this at the start and if people were asking me specific questions about how many property deals we were doing, I was, I'd be a bit, a, a bit sort of um, woolly with my answers. But the reality was, I just wasn't involved with that side of the business. But rather than sort of saying that and owning it, I, I would try to kind of blag my way through it. And as a result of that, you can almost come across as a bit disingenuous. Whereas now it's a case of kind of owning it and just saying, well, actually, no, I focus on the, the brand building, the raising finance, the, the marketing, et cetera, et cetera, and, and just being comfortable enough in your own skin to kind of own wherever you are at that moment, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. You know what? It's also, I mean, it's exhausting. If you're trying to be something that you're not, which a lot of people do, one, it's knackering. Two, at some point, you're going to get bloody found out. And because quite frankly, people smell bullshit a million miles away, don't they? You know, so much better to say, you know what? That's not my part of the business. Or, I mean, I used to get it a lot where I wouldn't have the answers to everything. And, you know, even when I was running big businesses in corporate world, I'd say, you know what? Actually, I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll come back to you. 
You know, and I think that's perfectly fine to be able to say that. Or I tell you what, you know, my marketing director, he's all over this. Um, I'm going to get him to come back to you with a really detailed answer or whatever it might be. But you're right. That comes with a little bit of kind of maturity, gravitas, feeling a bit more comfortable in your own skin and and just accepting that, you, you know, actually you're not meant to know everything. If you know everything, well, then you're superhuman. Right. And that's just like not not real. It's not possible for anyone. Well, I think it was um, Steve Wozniak had famously said to Steve Jobs back in the day um, when uh, Steve was a lot less operational. He said, what is it you actually do with your time now? And Steve said, well, um, I'm here to conduct the orchestra, not to play all the specific instruments. And that just really resonated with me because you don't have to be all things to all people. And I think as well, just good on these famous quotes. I think it was Henry Ford, somebody had asked him the question and he didn't know the answer. He's like, look, I don't know that, but I can ring somebody who does. And I think I think it's surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, something that I believe passionately about is that relationships are the highest form of currency. What would you say the highest form of currency is in your world? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I think communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think communication, because I think with that, you can solve anything. If you know what the issues are, you can come up with solutions. You know, I think I think very often we we shy away from having conversations that need to be had. Um, and actually, every nearly everything is solvable. Nearly everything um, with time, patience, communication. There's a great book actually called um, "Fierce Conversations" by Susan Scott, uh, which anyone listening might be interested in. And it's it's how to have those difficult conversations that maybe you don't you shy away from or you put off I mean how often have we had people on our team that maybe not performing and you know you should get rid of them but you just don't you, you kind of sit on it for longer it never goes away it just becomes more of a problem how many you know marriages relationships break up where because they've just got so far from each other whereas actually had they had the communication in the in the beginning maybe that marriage could have been saved or maybe that friendship could have been saved so I think there's so much around society where we don't don't really face up and have those tricky conversations in the right way. So for me, I think, you know, communication is currency because then you can solve stuff and you can come up with great ideas, et cetera. And you can be really clear on who you are as individuals and how you kind of fit together. Wow. Wow. Powerful answer. So much value in that. And I'm definitely going to read that book as well. Well, what you've achieved today, Jeanette, is nothing short of incredible. I've got the utmost respect for, for your achievements, but I know that you're nowhere near finished. The name of the podcast on the mission, what would you say your personal mission is? What, what's the legacy? So the legacy is, well, I guess it's twofold. Twofold the legacy is. One is to leave a legacy for my nieces and my nephews because we don't have our own kids. So when it talk about passing on to the next generation, I want to be able to leave those guys with something very material that's going to improve their lives. So that's the sort of family side of it. But the broader, the broader legacy, as I say, is around helping as many people as possible fulfill their true potential. Uh, that's why I do the podcast. It's why I do my mentoring. It's why I do my advisory work um, and sort of a lot in between as well. So, yeah, I genuinely, genuinely believe that everyone has greatness in them, um, but it's not always easy to unlock it. And in fact, probably 95 percent of people don't really live their dreams. The cemetery is full 
of great ideas that never came to fruition or businesses that never got started. You only got one life, right? So make it count. So yeah, if I can help even in one tiny little way to help one person really live their dreams and and absolutely, you know, be their be the best version of themselves, well then for me, that's job done. Oh, I absolutely love that. Final question for you, Jeanette. With all your 27 years of experience mastering your trade, what's the best bit of advice? If you could just break it down to one bit of advice, what's the best bit of advice that you could give the listeners? Believe in yourself. Because if you believe in yourself, then you can achieve anything. It's got to start with the internal you. Uh, because if you don't believe in yourself, how will anyone else believe in you? So, yeah, that's the most single most important thing, 100%. Wow. Well, you're certainly brave, bold, brilliant. You'd be a phenomenal podcast guest. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. We'll need to get you back for a future episode with Wayne, um, as I think you, you, you suggested earlier, uh, because there's still so much more to unpick. But um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And thank you so much for coming on the On A Mission podcast. Oh, thank you, Ellie. You are truly wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.